Christmas. Over the last couple weeks, we have explored this sermon series, Home for Christmas, and we've talked about a couple things. In week one, we talked about leaving home for Christmas and how Jesus did just that for us. Then last week was about going home for Christmas. We talked about Mary and Joseph and how they had to go home, and it was possibly an inconvenient time for them, but the anticipation of the newborn Savior transcended all the inconveniences and all the other issues or problems and struggles that they had because they knew that something special was taking place. There's something about Christmas that makes being home more important than almost any other time. People will go through extraordinary lengths to get home at this time of year. I mentioned last week that people will pay higher prices for gas or transportation. They'll drive on busy highways and heavy traffic through bad weather. They'll brave long lines and delays at airports to go home. Most likely, some of you have a story of some time or another that you made it home right before the road closed, or you made it home through the night, you drove through the night to get home. How many of you have a story of a close call because you're trying to get home for Christmas? Several people. Yeah. At the Laramie Airport, the eight consecutive flights from Laramie to Denver leading up to Christmas Eve are completely sold out at maximum capacity. That's a lot of students and different people that are trying to get home just in time for Christmas. The excitement at Christmas ramps up when you have kids, just like it did in our service today, to see them and the joy and the excitement of learning about Jesus and receiving gifts and understanding what it's all about. Every broke parent said amen. amen. As a kid, the majority of the excitement at Christmas was around what am I going to get, right? What's inside the big box under the tree? And for the adult, seeing the joy and the excitement is the highlight of the day. Maybe it's the innocence of the small children or seeing how they've grown up in comparison to previous Christmases that's so amazing. As kids get older, the joy for parents is just having their kids home at Christmas at all. Kids still bring joy to parents at Christmas. I think the reason is that kids, especially young kids, they don't carry the same burdens that adults do. For kids, the biggest stress they may face this winter is being forced to eat peas for din dinner or shoveling snow in their driveway or having to do their homework. Everyone can relate to being a kid at Christmas because we've all, we've all been one. Sometimes as an adult, it's not as fun as when we're kids. Christmas can be a lot of work on adults. We can get to a place where we think back about past Christmas experiences that were so amazing. And sometimes it's hard to get into the spirit of Christmas. Or we miss an aspect of Christmas that's no longer a reality for us. Some people lament, and maybe even you have, it's not like it used to be. Where did it go? What happened? How can I get that back? And we think, oh, just to be a child again. What a bummer that we can't go back to being a kid at Christmas. Three years old at Christmas, or 10 years old, or 16, or 18, or 21. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. 
We don't get to go back to those times. But I do have good news for you today from Isaiah chapter 9. If you want to turn there, it's going to also be on your screen today. It says in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah is a prophetic book of the Bible, and you can find all kinds of prophecy in it regarding Jesus, that he'd be born of a virgin, he'd be laid in a manger. There's hundreds of prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in his lifetime about his birth, his life, his death, and resurrection. Those are amazing things, and if you want to do a study that will increase your faith, study the prophecies about Jesus that he fulfilled as you go into the new year and see what God does in your life. It's, and Isaiah is a great place uh, to start and to include in that study. But here Isaiah is telling us in, in Isaiah 9-6 that the Messiah is to be born and is giving us the titles that he'll be known by. And it says he'll be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There's a lot there. In fact, we could do a whole sermon series on the titles of Jesus and the things that he'd be called. Look into the meeting. But today I want to focus on just two words from Isaiah 9-6. I want to talk to you about God, the Everlasting Father. When you look at these words that Isaiah offers, one of these titles of the, of the Messiah is Everlasting Father. And we want to look at what it means. The word everlasting means continuing on indefinitely. It means that it's eternal. When you look at scripture and you see a verse that says that he is the God from everlasting to everlasting, it's literally describing a God that is ever present in this life and all the way into eternity. Everlasting is a word that's common in the Bible. John chapter 1, verse 12 through 13 says, To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. This is a spiritual birth as children of God, not into physical life, but into an everlasting life. Most people here are probably familiar with a verse just two chapters later, John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whosoever believes in him would not have perish but have everlasting life. There's that word everlasting. God who is from everlasting to everlasting comes to offer us everlasting life through the work of his son Jesus who was born in a manger as we see in the Christmas story. And then there's this word Father. Interesting that Isaiah didn't say everlasting God. He didn't say everlasting Lord. He didn't say everlasting Savior. All those are true, but he said everlasting Father. God as a Father wasn't a really big concept in the Old Testament. This is something that more so developed in the New Testament times. As Jesus referred to God, his Father, it was a distinction between God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus taught his followers to pray, Our Father who art in heaven. The image of God as a father is something that's common in our culture as we sing songs about God the Father and we hear that God is a loving father. But this was more rare in the Old Testament. And yet we have Isaiah calling him the everlasting father. That's who God is. That's who God has always been. He's a God that cares for his children and has a passion as a father. I don't know what your experience here today has been with a father or maybe over the course of your life, has been with your father. Unfortunately, many people either don't know their father or the relationship that they have is a challenging one. 
But a good father is a provider. A good father is a protector. A good father is a shelter that we can run to. He's one that cares about his children and he invests in them and trains them up because he wants the best for his kids. And I want you to see and know today that God is the everlasting father and we are his children. If we want to experience the joy and the excitement of a kid at Christmas, we can if we will accept that God is the everlasting father and we are his kids. I want to briefly show you why that's important and how we can recapture this joy at Christmas. Because if you want to go back to being a kid at Christmas, then I invite you to, to go back to, to an understanding or come to a place of understanding that you are God's kid at Christmas. The first thing I want to share with you is that fathers carry burdens that kids can't. Often you see a child that has an absent parent and the result is often that the child grows up early. They have to deal with things that kids weren't intended to and aren't prepared to deal with. They're doing things and carrying burdens that they're not supposed to deal with or, or have to carry at this point of their lives. Kids aren't supposed to have to provide. Kids shouldn't have to worry about their own protection or protecting others. Kids shouldn't have to try to figure out everything on their own. Parents do that. Fathers are supposed to provide and protect and to teach. God is not only a father, he's an everlasting father. He's a perfect father. He's a father that carries burdens that you can't carry and that you shouldn't have to carry alone. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your cares on him. Because he cares for you. It's a picture of an everlasting father. Each of us carry burdens. Each of us have things that God, uh, that, that, that God should be carrying in our lives. Most of us aren't kids anymore. We're carrying bigger burdens and things that stress us out. Some of that is natural, but I can also tell you that some of us are carrying these burdens that we were never intended to carry. Burdens that God desires to carry. He's invited us to bring those to him. And as we do that, it lightens our burden and brings us a joy that we can't explain otherwise. The second thing is that fathers don't give up on their kids. Today, maybe you've experienced the rejection of a father's love. Maybe you've even convinced yourself that you don't deserve that because of your shortcomings or, or failures or something that you've done. Maybe you've been told that you're worthless or you've been treated that way. Maybe you don't even know what it was because you don't know your father and he's never been there. He walked out on you. He cut you off. He wanted nothing to do with you. When Isaiah tells us about God being an everlasting father, what he's telling us is that God is not a flawed human father, that he's a perfect one that's always there. It doesn't mean that we have to be perfect because we won't, and he knows that. God, the everlasting father, sees us in our failures and our flaws, and he chooses not to walk out on us or give up on us. Fathers don't give up on their kids. And the third thing is that fathers celebrate a child who comes home. Now, if you're a father here today and you just had kids leave your home or you're on the brink of a kid leaving home, there can come a point where we as fathers like to pretend that we can't wait for them to go, right? <laughs> I think it's partially a coping mechanism. We don't want to be so sad, so we act like we can't wait, right? I still have both kids at home, and I'll admit there's times where I share with them that I know the exact number of days until their 18th birthday, right? <laughs> But reality is I love my kids and I'm glad they still live in my house for now. And I will celebrate when they leave, not because I'm excited for them to go, but because of what it means for their lives. And I'll be glad when they come home. This week, there's parents, even the hardest, toughest parents and fathers that are peeking out windows, hoping their kids will come home for Christmas. 
There's fathers wishing their kids would be able to come home, or fathers of soldiers wishing their kids could come home this Christmas. Some fathers even paying large amounts of money to get their kids home for Christmas. It's what a good father does. Probably one of the most famous stories that Jesus ever told was the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15. We read there that there was a man that had two sons. The younger one said to his father, give me my share of the estate. I want everything that's coming to me. So he took that property. The father divided it between his sons. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country and he squandered all his father's wealth and wild living. And after he spent everything, he began to be in need. He tried to fix it himself. But it wasn't until he came to his senses and said, how many of my father's hired servants have it better than I do? I'm going to go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, the everlasting father saw him, was filled with compassion for him and ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead, but he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. Today, I don't know where you are in your relationship with the everlasting father. But I know this, he's a good father. He's an everlasting father. That's why Jesus came as a baby. The, whole, the, re, the Really the whole point of what Christmas is all about, God's love for his children. It's so that we could come home. Jesus, God's son, made a way for us to all become children of God. Today, you may be burdened and tired. You may feel like a failure. You may be far from where you're supposed to be. You may be far from home today. But God's an everlasting father that carries burdens that you can't. He's an everlasting father that never gives up on his children and who longs for his children to come home and he celebrates when they do. Remember, a lot of the joy for parents at Christmas is their kids. And it's no different with the everlasting father. He takes joy in his children, especially in his children that come home. You can recapture the joy of a kid at Christmas and bring joy to the everlasting father's heart when you come home. You don't have to go through any extraordinary feats. Jesus did it all. What he did is no comparison to the things we do at Christmas to get home. Jesus paid a price we could never pay. It's simple for us. We just accept God's gift and invitation to a relationship with him. And we can be home just in time for Christmas. This morning, I want to pray with you with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here today and you're not in a right relationship with the everlasting father, maybe you have been at one point in your life, but you know that where you are right now is not in a right relationship with him. Or maybe you've never been in that place of right relationship with your creator and he loves you, he's a father, he cares about you, and he wants to celebrate you coming home to a relationship with him. He's given you the greatest gift that anyone will ever give you at Christmas, the gift of his son. And the greatest gift that you can give him is your heart, a relationship, surrendering your life to his plan. 
and acknowledging him as the everlasting father. This morning, I'm going to pray a simple prayer. There's nothing special or magical about the words that I'm going to say. It's simply obedience to the word of God that says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. This morning, I want to invite you to pray that prayer along with us this morning. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of Jesus, the greatest gift I'll ever receive. Today, I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I believe when he died on the cross, he died for my sin. And today I confess that Jesus Christ is my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, with every head still bowed, every eye closed, if you made that decision, you say, when I walked in here today, I didn't know God as my father. I wasn't in a right relationship with him, but now I am. I prayed that prayer and, and made Jesus the Lord of my life. Would you just slip your hand up right where you are this morning? Thank you, sir. Anybody else here this morning? Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Would you put your hands together and just celebrate? The Bible tells us that God is celebrating right now the return of his children home. I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. Whatever you do to celebrate Christmas, to celebrate the birth of our Savior, don't forget Jesus in the midst of it all. Find ways to honor him and point to him like we've shared with you over the last several weeks, like you've seen us do here today. Take some time in the midst of your family as you're all gathered around to remember what Christmas is all about. Maybe even to give someone the opportunity to make things right between them and and the Everlasting Father. Thank you so much for being here today. Hannah's going to come and she's going to share some things with us. Give out.